I also extend Christian greetings to you in the name of our good God. It is, in a lot of ways, good to be here again. Um, I would be remiss if I wouldn't at least give acknowledgement to the congregation here for your input and, and um, influence on my life some 35-ish years ago when I was a single man and um, our church did not have its own youth group and so um, I was received, welcomed here and friendships built over those years uh, that last today, uh, till today. And I often think about it too, even, even the time when I was in volunteer, when I was in voluntary service, uh, some folks from here sent Christmas cards and I, I have remembered that um, and appreciated that. So in a lot of ways, it feels a bit like coming home. Of course, we have family here, and um, it's in a few weeks. It'll be 32 years that my wife and I stood up front here um, in front of the congregation and did Stolzus and committed our vows um, of marriage to each other. Uh, hard to believe, 32 years ago already, I was talking to somebody here this morning. He was talking about a memory he had of my dad, and I said, well, how long ago was that? He thought it was around 30 years. I think it's probably more like 50 you know, some of us reach these stages of life where we probably best not uh, give estimates as to how long ago we think something was because typically it, it can be, it's prone to be 10 or 15 years longer than what we actually think. But that's not what we're here for this morning. I do enjoy this opportunity as well to exchange pulpits. Uh, we've done this some years ago, and I was glad to be able to, to have this opportunity, and we look forward to having your ministers come and share their topics at, at our, their assigned subjects at our congregation as well in, in the coming year or two. My title this morning is Maintaining a Biblical Focus in a Complex World. And I told someone that back in school days we used to trade lunches. And um, when I got this assignment, I was tempted to see if I couldn't trade with somebody, but we didn't do that. And I want to open our hearts and see what God has for us this morning. Maintaining a biblical focus in a complex world is saying a lot. Um, when we think of maintaining something, we have cars and, and you have a maintenance schedule for your car. At least if you want to get good use out of it, it'd be best if you did have a maintenance schedule. And it was an, it's an annual thing for the state inspection. You've got your um, tires that need to be replaced and oil that needs to be changed. When you go for the inspection, the inspector has his list of things that he goes through. And assuming that your car... Uh, meets those requirements, then you, you get that sticker on your windshield and you're good to go for another year. As I pondered this subject, you know, we could try to take that approach in, in talking about maintaining a biblical focus in a complex world. Some of the subtitles given were preserving a simple lifestyle living as pilgrims, avoiding the world's traps. And we could try to come up with a 10-step approach, especially when we think of living in the complex world that we live in today. Or maybe we could break the list down to five and make it more simple. But the reality of it is any list that we put together as far as, as, as how to live and how to keep a biblical focus in this complex world, any list would probably be broke or obsolete in another half a year or a year or two. I thought about um, toying with, I toyed with the idea of, it didn't go very far, so rest in peace, but um, I should also mention that uh, my Aunt Lenny and Uncle Alvin are here this morning as well, and, and uh, um, Lenny is my dad's oldest sister, and 
Um, so we have good memories. But I, I, I contemplated the idea of having an older couple like Alan and Lenny sitting up here on the rocking chairs, um, you know, talking to each other, or maybe Ken and Ellen sitting up here in the chairs reading to each other, and, and then over here have two young people, and they'd be sitting across the table from each other, absorbed in their cell phones. And then in about a half hour from there, see who uh, actually got to communicate with each other the most. You know, that's kind of the world that we live in, and it's constantly changing, and it's complex. It can seem complex at times. And when I think of preserving a simple lifestyle, that, that one gets me because we live in a community that I'm not sure, I don't quite think this community is a fair representation of the world. In fact, if you depends on who you read, we're a really minute part of the whole world as far as our level of affluence, our level of of of, of um, things and and even in that, if you think back, some of us think back. Um, I I tend to think that we mowed three acres a yard at home with a push walk behind push mower lawn boy. It wasn't three. Sometimes in the hot summer days, it felt like it. But and now you know we need to have the zero turn riding mower. And so we 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 keep progressing, and our our standard of living keeps rising. And so how do we maintain a biblical focus in the world we're in, in the culture we're in? God placed us here for a reason. I don't think we should bemoan the fact that we're here. I don't think we should, I don't think we need to, I'm not sure what word I want to say, but sometimes we hear these connotations given about Lancaster County and and the rich people in Lancaster County and and. And, and all that. And I don't know that we need to bemoan that fact. God probably put us here for a reason. And I think we do well in figuring out what that reason is. Someone, uh, Joseph, mentioned that in the devotional. We could discuss minimalist living. That's kind of the end thing right now, minimalist living. Some people are doing well making tiny homes. And we could probably even start a YouTube, YouTube channel on this. But as I pondered and thought about this subject, my mind was drawn to the parable of the sower. And in this context, uh, Matthew and Mark teach us that Jesus was, uh, the, there was a crowd, a lot of people around, and so Jesus got into a boat and pushed off the shore a little bit, and he sat in a boat and was teaching uh, the people that came to this. And, and Matthew Mark also um, mentioned that just prior to this, Jesus was teaching and saying things like, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my brother, my mother. So looking at this parable, at this parable of the sower that Brother Dave read, we see four elements in this parable. There's the sower, there's the seed, there's the soil, and there's the birds. And from our farming background, our farming culture, we, we, we identify with this. We can recognize this. We, if we don't do it ourselves, we drive the roads and we see it every spring. As the farmers are working the fields, they're planting their seeds, and we see the, 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 the abundant harvest that can be harvested in our community here. The sower sprinkles, in, in this culture, would have sprinkled the seed into prepared 
furrows. Today we use much more complex equipment than that. But the ground was prepared, the furrows were made, and the seed was sprinkled into the ground. And then he mentions the four types of soil. Four types of soil. There's the wayside soil. That's the unplanted, that, that's the path that's packed from, from walking, from traveling. It's hard, unplowed ground. There's no possibility of the seed entering into that ground. And then there's the stony soil. This, this soil has enough soil enough ground that the seed could take root, but there's so many stones that it doesn't grow deep and it can't sustain growth. And it's a dry ground, not enough there to, moisture there to, to sustain the seeds. Then there's the thorny ground. And the thorny ground has soil. It has fertile soil. The seeds can take root. The seeds can grow. But there's so much stuff that gets in the way, and it chokes out the seed, and the seed can't grow. And then, of course, there's the fertile soil, which is the rich and well-prepared soil. These birds, these birds follow the farmer as he scatters the seed, and we see that sometimes in the springtime as well, right behind the plows especially. The birds are following after looking for worms and things like that to eat. These birds, as Luke describes it here, are as much as possible snatching that seed uh, before any good thing can come from it. So what is the meaning of this parable? And Jesus makes this parable clear in a lot of ways. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. This is a simple parable. It's not hard to understand. Jesus laid out the parable, and then he also laid out the meaning of the parable very clearly. But I think it behooves us to be reminded to look and see what is God saying in this parable to us today in 2022 right here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Let's look a bit at the four types of soils, the four types of hearts, as Jesus went on to describe it. There's that wayside heart, where the heart is hardened, it's packed down. Maybe it was a heart that was never made aware of salvation. Maybe it was a heart that doesn't know about God. It's just raised and born into that kind of a situation. Or maybe it's a heart that's hardened due to sinful responses to life circumstances and difficulties that come our way. You know, we, we, we're prone to that if we're not careful. Uh, when difficulties come, when we're wronged um, and we respond incorrectly and we, we, we harden our hearts, we, we put a shell around our hearts to protect ourselves from being hurt again. I think it's especially sad when it's a result of, of someone being wronged by others and, and abuse and etc. And, and people, if they aren't, if they don't receive the right attention, the right help, or if they don't go to the right place, tend to, to, to just build a wall around their heart and protect themselves from further uh, injury. It's a hardened heart and the seed can't get in. It's impenetrable. Bitterness can do that in our, in our lives. If we allow bitterness to settle in and take root, or settle in into our lives, it can, it can harden our hearts and keep us from allowing seeds of truth into our heart. Then there's the stony heart, where the stony heart sees and hears the message and receives it with a joyful reception, but the commitment is shallow. Maybe it's an easy believism gospel that's preached. Maybe there's stones of selfishness that are blocking the seed from 
reaching deep into the soil. Either way, this, the seed gets into the soil, and the soil is fertile, we can tell, because the seed springs, springs up pretty quickly, but then it dies almost as quickly as it grew. Quickly withering when trials of faith come along. The third heart that is mentioned is the, the thorny heart. Here again, we have good soil, as I've mentioned, to, mentioned before. Fertile soil. The seed reaches into the soil and grows. But there's so much in the way. There's so, much, so many other weeds, thorns in the way that they block out and crowd out this tender seed from growing. And notice in Luke, in verse 14... It doesn't say that this heart doesn't bring forth fruit. I'll read that verse again. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So it's not saying there's no fruit. It just doesn't. The fruit never has the opportunity or doesn't grow to perfection. It doesn't quite. And some of you sitting here could talk about fruit and imperfect fruit a whole lot better than I do than I could uh, with the orchards that we have around here but the the fruit the stunt the the growth is stunted and it can't fully develop into the perfection that God wants for it the soil is too crowded it's too 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 distracted it's too busy sort of reminded me of the children of Israel when they entered into the promised land, and God commanded them to, to cast out and drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and they didn't drive out all the inhabitants. They didn't push out all the heathen people. They left some in, and we know how that worked out for them. It was a constant struggle, a constant battle uh, with those people. Trying to keep one foot on each side, in each side of the door is another picture that I get here. Let's look a little bit at the things that cause this thorny heart. In Matthew's rendering of this portion of Scripture, to find my verse here. Matthew 13, verse 22, he says this, also, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and he becometh, an un, he becometh unfruitful. The care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and then Luke adds the pleasures of this life. Some reason when I studied this 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 type of soil is what got me the most, and I'm, I'm expecting that probably most of us can identify the most with this because of what, the world we live in today, because of the community that we live in as well, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this life. These are things that keep the seed from growing. 
The care of this world is the anxieties, the worries. It's becoming overwhelmed with temporal things and even life itself. And it can be that way. Um, we saw a lot of that in the last, in, in 2020 especially, with the whole COVID thing. And, and even now as, as we continue to cite, decipher and sort through uh, all these things in life, sometimes it can become overwhelming. Sometimes the anxiety and the worry can get the best of us, and we can become overwhelmed by temporal things of this life. The deceitfulness of riches. The Bible has much to say on this. I could, we could talk on this for a little, a little while. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Jesus even went on to say that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And this is one thing I grapple with because we live, as I've been saying, in an affluent culture. We have ample opportunities. We can do well uh, in financial. We can do well financially. There's, there's possibilities, endless possibilities and opportunities that we can pursue and we can take on and, and, and grow in. And we get a lot of, um, there's plenty of counselors, uh, business coaches, et cetera, around that, that help us to operate our businesses efficiently and, and, and smoothly and, and go for the most profit that we possibly can. And Jesus said, warns us here that, that about the deceitfulness of riches and speaks to it throughout the Gospels. It's elusive, it's evasive, it never satisfies. You, you reach one plateau, you think you're, that when you get there, then I'll be good. And then you reach that plateau and you're not satisfied after all. That's what Proverbs talks about. It, they take themselves wings and they fly away. And if we're not careful, we can soon quickly become caught up in this, in the world that we live in. And then there's the pleasures of this life, satisfying the appetites of the flesh, which is in including but not limited to sensual desires. We live well, if you please. We live well. Um, I grew up, my mom's sitting here, so she'll hear me say this, but we had string beans and potatoes and meat and there was no cheese and there was, and I'm not grumbling, but you know, just a picture of where we can head if we're not careful, and soon, you know, we become uh, things. We, it's where we're at. It's, it's the world. It's the life that we live. There's so many options and so many possibilities. Um, try go shopping for toilet paper even, and there's so many kinds and thicknesses and lengths, and we have so many possibilities and things are affordable, they're reachable, they're attainable for us. And we, we've, we're reaching a high standard of living if we're honest with ourselves. The pleasures of this life, and if we're not careful, we think that we have to have this, and then we have to have that, and we have to have the other thing to be happy and to be satisfied and content in life. And it's never, ever enough. All of these things that we're talking about promise much. All of these things, the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this life promise much, but they produce nothing 
and they're very elusive and evasive, and they never satisfy. When things become more important to us than God, they become idols, and they stifle our relationship with them. With Him, A.W. Tozer, in a devotional book, says this: Of all the calamities that have been visited upon the world, the surrender of the human spirit to this present world and its ways is the worst, without doubt. No Oriental monarch ever ruled his cowering subjects with any more cruel tyranny than things. Visible things, audible things, tangible things rule mankind. That we, who were made to communicate with angels and archangels and seraphim and with the God who made them all, that we should settle down here as a wild eagle of the air, come down to scratch in the barnyard with the common hens. This, I say, is the worst of anything that has ever come to the world. It seems incredible that we who were made for many worlds should accept this one world as our ultimate home. Man was made in the image of God and is now a fallen being that has left its place in the celestial world and has plummeted down like a falling star. Now in this world, he has all but forgotten the place from when he came. The call for us is to keep our perspective, to keep our focus what is it that we're looking for? Let's move on now to the fourth type of soil, the fourth heart. It's the fruitful heart. It's that which is cultivated by submission and surrender and discipline to the will of God. Brother Joseph read from James 4 in the devotional, and it's very clearly there again given to us how to get close to God, how to have drawn eye to God, how to have Him be a part of our life. It, but it takes work. It takes effort. And it takes energy. It takes submission and surrender of our self-will. The fruitful heart has allowed to plow to share has allowed the plowshares of the word to break up its fallow ground, has loosened up that soil and 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 made it so that it can receive the seed that is planted. I sometimes picture we had a next door neighbor as an Amish farmer. You say, well duh, that's Every day, but in Chester County, it's not where we live. And but we and he he farmed the ground, and I'm often intrigued by watching him plow his fields with his horses. And until the till the plow ever reached the dirt, the the horses had really done a lot of stumping on it just ahead. And that ground is worked. And I know there's people who say we shouldn't plow, but that's not the point this morning. The the soil is turned over. And it receives the summer, springtime sun and allows it to warm it. The thorns, the thistles, the, the weeds have been turned over, have been removed. Stones have been removed. A, a real part of farming in our community is picking stones. And then the rains come, and when the, so, when the seed is planted, it settles in, it roots in, it, into the ground, and it brings forth fruit. It starts growing, into, and it and, the plant grows way larger than the seed that was planted, and the fruit that it yields is incredible. You take one little kernel of corn and you watch that stalk grow to nine, ten feet tall and have one full fat ear of corn on it, maybe two, maybe three, and, and many, many seeds out of that one seed. Fertile soil, but it takes submission and surrender and takes discipline. And as the farmer plants the seed, the ground receives it and protects it from the birds and the predators. It absorbs the seed. It feeds it. And the, 
and lo and behold, a small tender plant springs forth and grows into that fruitful plant, producing much, much more than what was originally planted. This is an honest and a good heart. It's a heart that heard the word, kept the word, and brought forth fruit. The birds are there. The ever-present birds are there. And you know there's no lack of seed. There's plenty of seed. The seed is the Word of God. And it's there. It's there all the time. The seed is never... The Word of God never grows old. It never is diminished. It's never run out. There's always plenty there. And I love to sit with older people and hear them say, you know, I never saw this in the Scripture before. And I'm wondering... Is it because they're not remembering, or did they just actually learn? And I think, actually, they learn. And it has a way, you know, when we're in different stages of life or different things in life. Maybe something we did read before, maybe a truth that we saw before uh, stands out to us like it hasn't before. But my point is, there's plenty of seed. The Word never runs out, never runs dry. There's plenty there. It's up to us to, to, to prepare our hearts, to, to open our hearts to receive it. And then to be a look on the lookout for the birds, the destroyer of our souls, he's out. He's going to take any possible way to snatch that seed away from us before it goes into our hearts and bring forth fruit. Or even if it does reach into our heart to prevent it from bring, bringing forth mature fruit. Now I believe that one of the ways he has done that is make us busy. Busy. And even with good things. We know well enough that there's a whole host of things that we shouldn't do, and we stay away from that. We do really well at staying away from this or that and the other thing when it comes to bad things. But he can make us extremely busy with good things, and then that seed doesn't have the opportunity to settle in, or we don't allow it to have the opportunity to settle in. We can do that with our lives. We can do that as a, as a um, defense mechanism too and keeping ourselves busy so that we can't, sometimes we would rather dodge the truth of Scripture than to allow it to settle into our lives and bring forth fruit. <clears throat> Coming back then to this thing of the things of the world that has to offer and what God has to say about that. First John 2. There's a few verses I, I will read from there. I tend to think sometimes there's some of these things that were preached more often, and maybe you're doing better at this here at Weavertown than we are at Mine Road, but I tend to think there's the, in, in bygone days, some of these things were preached more than what we hear today. And I'm thinking especially of Luke, uh, 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's really about eternal perspective. It's, it's about where our aim is, where our goal is, what it is that we're, where it is that we want to end it. And what, do we see ourselves just in this life or do we see ourselves 
as some, in a life that is beyond this life. Loving the world and loving the Father don't go hand in hand. They don't. We're enemies of God's if we love the world. Joseph read that in, in James chapter 4 as well. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. John is writing that in this portion of Scripture. Looking just briefly then at the three things that he mentions in particular. <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Again, already alluded to some of these things previously. The lust of the flesh is pertaining to the sensual desires of the flesh. And we live in a sensualized culture. We know that full well. It's all around us. And it's all about self-pleasure, self-pleasing myself, enjoying myself, not depriving myself of anything that would bring pleasure to me. And we see it all around us, and we see its wicked results. The lust of the eyes. Maybe this one's a little more, not as, maybe this one's a little closer home than what we like. Uh, that which pleases the eye, extravagant beauty. Oh, we like things nice. And you go to the paint store, another thing, if you want to frustrate yourself, is go to the paint store and try to find that perfect color. There's so many options. We, and, and we want things beautiful. And that's not wrong in and of itself, but when it becomes our driving force, when it becomes that which overwhelms us and overtakes us, is when it, and deprives us, and it, it becomes an idol in our lives and it distracts our devotion to God. And the pride of life. Pride of life is another one we might not want to talk about so well. Positions of power, prestige, honor, titles, and, and, and pedigrees. We like to... We like to be recognized. We like to be noted. We like to have a, a job title. We like, to, we like to have the DDAs or the MDs or whatever those word letters are all behind our names, if we at all can. Um, putting self ahead of God is really what it boils down to. Pride of life. These things are not of the Father. These things are very temporal and will pass away quickly. Only what's done for the Father will last. Let's look yet at First Timothy chapter 6 for some thoughts. Because there is a way for the Christian to live. There is a way for us to live and to exceed. There is a way for us to bring forth fruit. God has given that way. And in fact... Um, the, the reference uh, slips my mind at the, at the moment, but the words are used that, that we might live soberly and righteously in this present world. I, I can't get it together right now. That you might live soberly and godly in, in this. In other words, in the, the, the Bible gives us enough and plenty, in fact, of direction and how to live in this world. It's not a hopeless thing. It's not something that we are victims of by any means. But God has given us a way to live. I'd like to look at some verses here from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 12 and 17 through 19. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, 
whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we're going to carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou... O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And then we'll drop down to 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, they that do good, they that, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. How we spend our money, how we live our lives in this life will affect uh, the life hereafter. Looking particularly at verse 6, and a few of the, I'm going to pull out a few, verses, a few thoughts from these verses. Verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? And I think that in reality, each of us needs to decipher that and needs to address that question in our own hearts and lives. What is contentment? You know, we have, for a little while, we had this little motto around the house, contentment, contentment is when what I have is enough. What is enough? Each of us need to, to reckon with that question. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The other thing that we need to keep in mind and, and focus on is that we came here empty-handed. We brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to take anything out either. Nothing. They can put all kinds of stuff in your coffin when you die, but it won't go any further than the cemetery. You can take nothing out. You brought nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. Let's keep that in mind as we walk through our daily lives. Having food and raiment therewith, be content. How much food? How many clothes? Is a question that we need to reckon with and answer for ourselves, I do believe. And I'm careful in how I say that we need to reckon this with this by ourselves or as individuals because we also need help from the brotherhood. That's why we are part of a larger body. That's why we are part of a, a Christian community, a Christian church. We need each other. I need you to, walk, to step up to me sometimes and say, are you sure? Is that contentment? Is that enough? You need me to do that for you as well. We need each other. And then 9 and 10 talk about the snares of money and how the love of money is the root of all things. And verse 11 gives us a list of things to flee. These things, or, or mentions, refers to the things previous and says flee those things. Those things have wings. Those things that promise much but deliver little. 
Things, those things that absorb our time and steal our relationships. Those things that choke out the Word of God from taking root in our lives. Flee those things. It's an action. We need to be a part of this. We need to do this so that we can be fruitful and keep our focus on God in this complex world. And then what I like best is the things that he gives us to follow. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Follow after the things of God. Pursue those things. Fight the good fight. It doesn't sound easy, does it? It's work. There's a fight. There's a struggle. We each have to deal with our personal selves on a daily, hourly, probably moment-by-moment basis and deciding, do I follow God or do I follow what I want in, in the flesh? Follow after righteousness. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. So as I ponder this thing, I think there's, it comes down to several things that we need to reckon with. The Bible is clear. The scriptures I read, I read and referred to this morning are simple, very self-explanatory. It doesn't take a, Greek theology, a degree in, in, in Greek or Hebrew to understand. It's there. What we need to reckon with is, does the Bible say what it means? And does the Bible mean what it says? And what am I going to do about it? Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to bow before you and call you our Father. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again and is at your right hand interceding for us. He's a propitiation for us today. And Father, we need that propitiation. We need the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. We thank you for that. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that leads us and guides us into truth and help us to be sensitive and help us to follow after righteousness. Help us to, to reckon with the things that you have laid out for us and to be honest with ourselves. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning. Pray your blessing on the congregation here at Weavertown as they continue in the, in the path that you've called them to as they reach out to the community around them and to each other. Bless them, strengthen them, give them guidance and direction. And thank you for the faithfulness example that they have been to us. And I pray that you would continue to bless them with faithfulness. Give their leaders wisdom and guidance and direction as they guide the church. Thank you that you've promised that there is a way for us to live today in light of eternity. We commit this to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.